0: Well, I'm uh, I'm happy to be able to share with you again this morning from uh, from God's Word. If if you're online with us for the very first time, or I just haven't met you yet, uh, welcome. And uh, my name is Dave. I'm 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 privileged to be the teaching pastor here at Calvary. And uh, last week we started into the the Gospel of John, and in in doing so, uh, the very first verse reminded us. uh, John writes uh, to those believers and to us and to the world, saying, "In the beginning." was the word. Uh, John uses the word uh, logos, which means uh, thought or reason. We translate it oftentimes in our English Bibles, wor- word. And that a uh, concept of logos, as I shared last week, was in, in classical Greek thought. It, it referred to this universal divine uh, reason or, or word. Uh, John used it uh, I suggested to you, as uh, in an introductory manner, to to just let it maybe appear as something that was an undefined majesty, an undefined greatness, which then he was about to define, he because he was going to define it by connecting logos to the existence of God and the incarnation of God in His Son, Jesus. He goes on to tell us that not only was Jesus uh, logos, that he was the the divine Word, that he was. Also, the, the word that, that became flesh and was human. He also said that in Jesus was life in verse 4, and that life was the light of men. And so we talked last week, and you can always listen to those messages uh, that you might miss uh, on our website, um, and so you can pick up those, those messages from the weeks past. Uh, but we saw that, that he was uh, helping those first readers to understand that Jesus was Logos, he was life, and he was light. He came, John said in verses 12 and 13, to his own, his own people. And his own people did not receive him. To a large degree, Jesus' own nation, the nation of Israel rejected him. He did have a few followers, but not many. And so to a large degree, his own people, they did not receive him. But 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 John goes on to say, but to all those who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. And we talked about how If we don't reject the offer of Jesus and we receive him in the manner that God asks us to, believing that he is uh, the Son of God, uh, receiving him as Savior, believing that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. We will be reclassified to be his children, those who believe in his name, who were born, John finishes there, not of natural descent or of the will of flesh or of the will of man, but of God. Well, if you were following along last week in that message, you noticed that I uh, skipped over a few verses, uh, beginning up in uh, verse uh, 6, 7, and, and 8 of chapter 1. And that was uh, uh, intentionally, uh, because we, I was waiting till this week to talk about uh, this next uh, kind of character that, that John uh, is going to introduce to us, and it's another John. It's not John the writer of this text, but it's the one who's known as John the Baptist or John the baptizer. And so what I'd like to do today is, is kind of take uh, the life of John the Baptist and frame it around four or five questions. Some of those questions come right out of the, of the text that we'll be looking at. And so if you, if you have a, a hard copy Bible there with you, or you can open up a new window or, or bring up on your device uh, some Bible version and you want to follow along with me, uh, turn to the Gospel of John and uh, the first chapter. We're going to be looking at those at those questions, and we're going to be starting down in verse 19. We'll go back and, and pick up those verses uh, up at the or earlier part of the chapter as well. We're going to begin in, in verse 19 where uh, John has been uh, visited uh, by some people. Uh, the specific people that he's visited, uh, visited by, Scripture tells us they, they are Levites and priests. Now, uh, Levites are descendants of... Uh, They're a tribe of Israel. They're uh, they're descendants of of a man by the name of Levi, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And so the Levites are simply one tribe that exists in the nation of Israel. And then it also says there are priests. Priests are a group of qualified men that come from within the tribe of Levi. So think of it this way. Uh, Not all Levites are priests, but by law, all priests are required to be Levites. And so they are coming and those, those priests are responsible for like the, the tabernacle and temple worship uh, in Israel. And so they're coming to John with these questions uh, because of, of the ministry that he's having. And we're going to get to that ministry as well. And the, question, the first question that we're going to use to frame this, this person is, in verse 19, they say to John, Who are you? Who are you? There's lots of, of ways that, that John could answer that. Like if someone, if someone said to me, Who are you? Well, of course, the, the first response that's going to come out my, out of my, my mouth is, I'm Dave, or I'm Dave Riddle. It's kind of like saying, what's your name? But, but John is going to answer that uh, a little bit different way. He said in verse 23, he says, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah had said. John says he is a voice. Literally, he is the voice, phone. He is a Uh, He is a voice that is bringing an awareness of the what? Of the word. So John the phone, the voice, he says, I exist as the voice to simply bring awareness of the Lagos. And that's exactly what he's going to do. Now this, this idea of, of who he was, he, first John had to answer some questions uh, the, before they finally got to asking him a second time in verse 22, who are, who are you then? So it begins in verse 19 when these, these people come to John, to John these, these people from Jerusalem sent by, uh, who were sent from the Jews in Jerusalem, but the, uh, later we're going to find out the people who sent him were Pharisees. So these priests and the Levites, they come and they ask him, who are you? And he says, well, first he says in verse 20, uh, who he's not. He says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that we're waiting for. I'm not, not the one that we're expecting. And so they go on to say, what then? They ask, are, are you Elijah? And he says, I'm not. Now, so it's clear that he says he's not the Messiah. And he says, he's, no, he's not Elijah, meaning he's not the actual physical representation of Elijah. He is not him literally. But we know from, in one sense, that that question is going to be answered not by John, but by Jesus as kind of like yes. Because Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 11 that if you would believe it, he is the Elijah to come. But John says, I'm not Elijah, like I'm not some uh, reappearance literally of the prophet Elijah that existed in our history. And so they ask him, then, "Are you the prophet?" And there's some some different you know understandings of exactly how uh, that's to be understood. Who is the prophet that is being referred to here? Many people believe it's the one that is the prophet that is referred to by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. Others think it's possibly a reference to the prophet Jeremiah because of one of the responses that Jesus has when he's talking with his followers and he's he's asking them, "Well, who do the people say that I am?" And, and they say, well, some say John, uh, you, you know, some say Elijah, and some say, some say Jeremiah, you know, and, and all of this. And, and they give these other, they, these other instances. And so some have suggested that maybe when they're saying, are you the prophet, could be Jeremiah, could be, again, the one that, that Moses is referring to in Deuteronomy 18. But again, the answer to that is no. And so John, goes, uh, John then, uh, it, his answer is no, and they go on to ask him again, Who are you then? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. These people that sent us, that's what they're saying in verse 22. What can you tell us about yourself? And that's when John says, I am a voice. He doesn't even say what his name is. He simply says, I am a voice. I'm crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. This making of a road is is in reference to a path that would be created for an incoming king. And so it's clear that John sees himself as someone with a particular task, so much so that when they ask him who he is, he tells them really more about what he's about to do. Who are you? I am a voice. Well, just like we oftentimes do when someone says, well, who are you? Uh, One of the next questions that oftentimes comes out of our mouths is, well, where are you from? Who are you? Where are you from? And so that's kind of a uh, a, a thing that's inherent in this text here in John chapter 1. We, saw it, we see in verse 6 that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. In fact, later John is going to say about himself, in verse 33 he was talk, he's going to talk about how it was he who sent me, as he's referring to the person who sent him to baptize. We're going to get to his baptism ministry in a little bit. It's clear that John is sent from God. John had a very unique beginning in life. His father was a man by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest, and Zechariah was older and his wife Elizabeth was older as well. The scripture says that they're both well advanced in years. In other words, they're beyond the time that you would expect them to have children and to date they had none. They had no children, they were or they were an older couple. And one day, uh, Zechariah is serving in the temple and an angel appears. Most likely it's Gabriel because the same angel, though this angel is not named in the, in the very next story about an angel visiting Mary, uh, who, was going to be, who was a relative of, of, Gabriel's, of uh, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, uh, he, he is named. So most likely it's Gabriel, visits uh, Zechariah in the temple and says, Hey, guess what? You're going to have a son. And he gives him some indications of kind of how special this son is going to be. And Zechariah, though he's a priest, faithful guy, godly guy, he kind of, the scripture implies that he kind of doubts it a little bit. And he asks the angel, how how can I know that this is going to happen? I mean, I'm old and my wife is old too. And so this miraculous thing happens where basically his mouth is closed. He is struck mute. Zechariah is mute until the time in which John is born. And so John's uh, uh, yet kind of beginning is a very, uh, is a very unique thing, and, and these, these, these people being well advanced in years, it's kind of beyond the natural way that we would expect a child to be conceived and born. And in fact, the, the, the angel uh, Gabriel, when he visits Elizabeth's relative Mary to tell Mary that she's going to have a pretty dramatic, uh, miraculous, supernatural birth as well, in the fact that her son is going to be actually fathered by God himself. She asks him kind of how this will be, and at the end of the time, in telling her how how it will happen, uh, Gabriel says to Mary, in fact, your relative Elizabeth is well along, six months along in her pregnancy, and even though she is, you know, again, not in that time period where you'd expect her to be pregnant, for nothing is impossible with God. And in fact, uh, when Mary and Elizabeth meet, and um, uh, both of them uh, being pregnant at the time, and they have a time where they meet, and, and, and Elizabeth it just is overjoyed as she sees Mary, and as they realize what's going on. And in fact, she says, you know, in my, my paraphrase, man, I, I, I would say that she's thinking something along the lines of, I don't know what's going on here, but we are, in. this is an incredible blessing from God, so much so that, that when, when the baby in my womb heard your greeting, he leapt for joy. And so there's something unique going on from in, this, in this life of John from the very beginning. It's clear, and, and John, the writer of the gospel, wants us to know about John the baptizer, that he was a man who was sent from God. He had a unique purpose he had a unique origin. He had a unique calling in his life. It was not something that he had created on his own. He just wasn't uh, going along thinking that this was what would be the best career cho- choice for him. But his life had a particular and specific and from the beginning divine orientation and calling that he was simply walking, walking in and embracing. So who are you? Well, I'm a voice. I'm the voice of... Pointing to the Lagos, Where are you from? Well, God sent me. <laughs> Neither answer uh, to, to either of those first two questions is kind of like, again, who are you? Dave Riddle. Where are you from? Well, I'm from c- central Ohio. I now live in Belleville. That would be kind of how the story goes. John's is a little bit different. John's has a little bit more nuance to it. A lot of times then, after we ask somebody, who are they? Where are they from? What do we often ask them? What do you do? And that's exactly the next question that we kind of get to when we think about the ministry of John. It is, what are you here to do, John? What are you here to do? What's your calling? And if you jump back up into verse 7, the first half of verse 7 and verse 8, it's clear what he came to do. It says in verse 7, he came as a witness to testify about the light. The phone, the voice, is the witness to testify about the logos, the light that is Jesus. He was not the light. Remember, he says, I'm not the Messiah. Jesus is going to be identified as the Messiah. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. John came. What was he there to do? As a, be a, to be a witness, to testify. Those words are almost synonymous with one another. Uh, the, the Greek word for witness is martyria. It means it's, it's the noun. It's the evidence that is given. It's the record or the report. Uh, that someone gives, and then uh, the the verb to testify, so he came as a witness to do what? To testify, and that's the word martyreo. They both come from the Greek word martus, from which we get our word martyr. So martus is a witness in a legal sense, like in a court proceedings, in a historical sense, like, yes, I witnessed that event specifically, Or in an ethical sense, that's how we understand someone who gives witness uh, of something even to the point of their own death. And that's how we get our word martyr, which means someone who dies for something that they would believe. So John's saying, I am there as a witness, as one to give record, to give report. I'm I'm there as one to testify, to give evidence, to bear record, to give an honest report, to give a testimony, testimony about it. So it's clear what he's there to do. He's not the Messiah. He's not Elijah. He's not the prophet. He's the one that was prophesied about, that Isaiah prophesied in in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, that he was the voice. He was the voice who came to be a witness to testify about the light. I think we can pause right there and just think about for a minute. You know, we've already referenced a couple of times in the service today the kind of the state we're in in our in our community, in our country, and in our world. There's lots of banter. There's lots of chatter. There's lots of things that people think we need to hear. But I wonder if we would, as followers of Jesus, if you're one of his followers today, if we could take a lot of uh, pointers from from the simplicity of this man named John, the baptizer, who came Not as the one, but simply as the one to point to the one. The one to give witness. What's your life a witness of? What are you giving testimony of? Is it that kind of testimony that Emma alluded to as she she was helping to lead us in worship? Is it that that kind of testimony that Barb was giving as she shared about how God met the need that they had, the prayer need, the very practical prayer need that existed in their family? What are you giving witness to? What's your testimony? When people hear you speak, what are are you bearing witness of? What are you giving record of? Who are you? I'm a voice crying in the wilderness to make straight, straight, make this path for the king. Where are you from? I'm from God himself. What are you here to do? Here to give a witness, to testify about the light. And the way primarily that that took place in John's ministry was the ministry of baptism. That's why he's known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. The, literal, the word literally means to baptize. And so either one, you can either call him a, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. Either one is, is correct. The thing that's interesting is, Baptism was common among uh, Jews, and, and specifically for people who were converting to Judaism excuse me, converting to Judaism. So people who were not Jews but were converting to it would oftentimes be baptized as a kind of a symbolic representation of their new life in the Jewish community. What's interesting about John is he wasn't baptizing converts into Judaism primarily, but instead, John was calling on Jews themselves to repent and be baptized. To prepare for what? To prepare for the Logos. To prepare for the life. To prepare, prepare for the light. To, pre- to prepare for the one who was coming after him because, as he said, I'm not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. And so, they ask him, and the, the, the next question that we look at is, it springs uh, from verse 25. After he, John, again, has this interaction where he addresses who he's not and who he is, verse 24 says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, as I said earlier. That's where that, that verse comes in, where we know they come from Jerusalem at the direction of the Pharisees, which are kind of like the ruling council uh, of, the, of the Jewish community. So these Pharisees uh, kind of sent the sent these Levites and priests. They're asking John these questions. They want to find out what's going on with this guy who's calling Jews to be baptized because that's not a regular pr- practice. We baptize Gentiles into our community. We don't baptize ourselves. That's not something that would have t- typically be done. So they asked him in verse 25, then why then do you baptize? If, if, you're, if you're not the Messiah, if you're not Elijah, if you're not the prophet, then why are you doing this? Why are you doing this ministry of baptism? John says in verse then 26 and 27, here's his answer. I baptize with water, John answered that. But someone stands among you. In other words, there is already someone on the scene. Well, who is that someone? That someone is the Logos. That someone is the Word. That someone is the light. That someone is the life. That someone is Jesus. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. John's statement here is one of, I don't know that I have a contemporary example that would help you to understand exactly the humble state, the debased state almost, with which he is connecting. You see... In the culture, in in ancient Near Eastern culture, and specifically in the Jewish culture of the day, there were servants, there were slaves. People who who were of means had servants, they had slaves. And it was the, the work of the absolute lowest person on the totem pole to be the sandal untire slash foot washer. It was a filthy, dirty, disgusting job. Some of you, even as I'm talking about doing that, you're getting a little bit of a something coming up in your stomach right now. Some of you hate feet. And if you can imagine, feet that would have been caked in mud, in dirt, in sweat, in maybe blood, in animal waste because of the, where, of the culture in which they lived. That was the foot that John's referring to. So why does he say this? John's not saying, I'm better than someone whose calling is to untie that sandal and wash those horribly dirty feet of this person. He's not saying he's above it. He's saying he's below it. He doesn't even have the status of the lowest rank maybe in all of society outside of those who would have been diseased. I don't even have that rank. I'm not even, un- I'm not even worthy to have the status Of the lowest slave, the lowest servant on the totem pole. That's what he's saying. Why do you baptize? I baptize because I'm trying to point people to the one who is of such great status that I can't even wash his feet. I want you to know him. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. About this phrase, uh, Thomas Aquinas said this uh, of John. He says that he touches on the greatness of Christ's superiority when he uses this phrase, the the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to, to unfasten or untie in our translation. And Aquinas says it's as if he's saying, you must not suppose that he ranks ahead of me in dignity in the way that one person ranks ahead of another person. The way someone else is placed ahead of another. Like, oh, they're more important than him because of their, of their status, because of their wealth, because of their popularity. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. He is stead, he said, he's saying instead that, the, it, that, the, that what he wants them to understand is that he, in comparison to this one to whom he's pointing people, is so far above him that the lowest rank relationship that that person would have with someone, the slave with the, that would clean their feet, I don't even meet that level. The emphasis is really not so much on his inferiority, that's kind of, it's, I guess it's, it is implied, but instead it's on Christ's superiority. It's on his greatness. Remember, what did I say, logos? Logos undefined greatness and majesty John the writer of the gospel is defining it and John the baptizer is helping to define it as well as he uses this phrase about the sandal strap who he's not worthy to untie he's all about pointing people to the person of Jesus and so when we pick it up in verse 29 we see that that's exactly what he's going to do why then do you baptize Well, I baptize to point you to this person. And then we see it in verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He continues in verse 30. This is the one I told you about. This is the one that I'm giving witness of. This is the one that I'm testifying about. This is the one who has the sandal. I can't even, I'm not even worthy to untie it. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, way ahead of me, right, from what he just said earlier. Because he existed before me. He continues in verse 31. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Who are you, man? I'm a voice. Where are you from, God? What are you here to do? I'm here to give witness. I'm here to give, testi- here, here to give a testimony. Why, why, are, why are you doing that? I am doing that so that he might be revealed to Israel. Who? Jesus. Who is he? The Lamb of God. The Lamb. The Light. The Life. The Logos. Just in these first 30 verses or so of the Gospel of John, we see so much. In fact, uh, one scholar points out there's seven different names for Jesus just in the first chapter of John. It's all about helping us to see Jesus as Savior. John wants us to be consumed with this person, Jesus, and again... Uh, not, to, not to emphasize it over and over and sound like a broken record, guys, but in this time when there is so much uncertainty, in this time when so many people are divided over so many things, the one thing that we can know for certain as followers of his is the identity of our identity as it relates to the identity of the person of Jesus, the Lamb of God who took away, of, took away our sin. And so again, so much that we can learn from John, do we recognize what our role is in much the same way? Because by the way, we're called those same things. We're called witnesses. We're called ambassadors. We're also referred to as salt and light, pointing people to that same person that John pointed them to, the person of Jesus himself. The last question we want to look at today as we're wrapping up is, well, John, how did you know that? How did you know that, he was, that that was the man? How can you speak, speak with such confidence? This is something in Scripture that's clear that God wants us to understand so that we can have a similar type of confidence. In the Gospel, uh, uh, according to Luke, Luke writes, and as he begins uh, the, the Gospel, kind of in the prologue, he, uh, he writes about how what he's about to share is based on firsthand eyewitness evidence. He wants wants his readers to know that he has absolute confidence in the certainty about what what he is about to write so that his readers will have that same level of absolute certainty. So in the same way, God wanted John to know with absolute certainty that what he had sent him to do, the person that he was calling John to point others toward was the Messiah, was the Lamb, was the light, (laughs) was the life, was the logos. He wanted him to be certain about that. And so when we answer this, I think it's an important question. How do you know that? Well, how did he know that? Because John actually baptized Jesus himself. It was a very dramatic thing. Jesus comes to John, John's baptized. Remember, why is John baptizing? He's baptizing Jews because he's asking them to repent of their sins and prepare themselves for the coming of Jesus. So you can, now remember, so think of that, right, If John correctly understands who this Jesus is, who the Messiah is, he wouldn't have needed to repent of any sin. And secondarily, John understands that my rank is, again, right below that lowest slave as it relates to this person of Jesus. So Jesus comes to him to be baptized by him. And John says, absolutely not. I ain't baptizing you. There's no way. In John's head, he's thinking, number one, you don't need it. Number two, I'm not going to do it. I, you should be baptizing me, he says. And you're asking me to baptize you? Remember what he said about his rank? So it's a natural response. And Jesus says, Not that, listen, you're going to do it. And it's right for me to do it to fulfill all righteousness. God, as Jesus was baptized, did something very dramatic. How did John know this? Because John says when he's speaking about Jesus, he recounts what happened after Jesus was baptized. We learn from other accounts that when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And it says a spirit descended on Jesus, this Holy Spirit himself in the form of a dove. And John testified in verse 32 as you pick back up there. He says, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. That is Jesus. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So when, when when we're saying, "Well, how do you know this, John?" Because what God said would occur—that the spirit would rest on one that I had baptized—that happened, and when that happened, I knew He is the Logos, He is the Life, He is the Light, <laughs> He is the Messiah, He is the Lord, He is the Son of God. Five little questions framing the life of someone that did such an amazing work, preparing the nation of Israel for the coming of their Messiah. Unfortunately, we recognize that as he did that, according to John, uh, at the beginning of John's gospel itself, uh, there were not many who received Jesus. But John's commitment to seeing his ministry as one that would simply be a witness and a testimony to the light is one that we can take great courage in and counsel from as we function in much the same way. Perhaps, yes, not with that singular, unique, divine calling that John had, but embracing that calling that we all have as Jesus followers to be people who point others to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's called that same thing from us. We are the ambassadors of reconciliation that God has sent, as if he was making his very own appeal through each of us. May we embrace that calling and walk in that spirit and the courage of John the baptizer, as he did so many years ago. Did he have doubts? Did he have struggles? He absolutely did. The Bible tells us that near the end of his life, as he was imprisoned and about to be martyred, he sent some messengers to Jesus and said, you know, just want to confirm I do have this right, right? You are the one. Now, some have suggested, well, maybe he was asking that question for his disciples so they would be convinced. Perhaps that's true. Or maybe scripture is what it often is gives us that accurate representation of not just the successes, but the struggles of God's people. May we come to that place of embracing a passionate faith in the one who takes away the sin of the world and point others to him as well. As I try to share with you on a weekly basis, uh, if you'd like to talk with one of our, our ministry staff persons here during our closing song, Uh, There are links that you can click on and uh, that will take you out into a conversation. So if you have questions, if you have prayer needs, if you would like to know what it means to receive Jesus as Savior and follow him as Lord, or if you just have any other type of spiritual questions, please don't hesitate to take advantage of that opportunity to speak with one of us as you click on one of those links in the chat, okay? The worship team is going to close our time uh, with a final song. As they're coming and prepare to do that, I'm going to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks, Lord, for... This this man, a man, a person, a human being just like one of us, one that had a a miraculous beginning, a divine calling, a passionate ministry, and one who paid the ultimate price as he was one who was a truth teller, even though it cost him his life. We pray that we would have that same sense of the calling and the divine ordination on our lives as people who are not the Messiah, not the Savior, but simply ones who are called to give witness, to testify, to point people toward Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world through his death on the cross. Help us to walk in that, God, we pray in his name. Amen.